Welcome to the Athens Frontline, a podcast presented by the Red and Black that covers topics in health and wellness. I'm your host, Simran Kaur Malhotra, here to discuss common fungal infections, research funding, and antifungal resistance with Emily Ryans. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Emily Ryans graduated from Wittenberg University in 2016 with a Bachelor's of Science in Biology and a Bachelor's of Science in Music Performance. During the course of her undergraduate career, she worked in three Drosophila laboratories, most recently in the lab of Dr. Stephanie Roman at the University of Cincinnati, where she studied the genetic basis of olfactory behavior of Drosophila. In 2016, Ms. Ryans was accepted into the doctoral program in the Department of Infectious Diseases and joined the laboratory of Dr. Karen Norris. Currently, she's the corresponding author of the Fungal Infections Study and a postdoctoral fellow in the College of Veterinary Medicine. Hello, Emily. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm excited about this because it's a little bit different and I've always wanted to have some researcher on. So congratulations. You're the first full-on researcher, especially a fellow who's been on this uh, podcast series. Happy to be here. Um, so can you start by telling me a little bit about yourself and then especially tell me a little bit about your research? Of course. So I am a postdoctoral research fellow in the Department of Infectious Diseases here at UGA. My work, so Department of Infectious Diseases covers a, a big topic, but I primarily focus on fungal infections. And that really falls under two big categories for me in which we are looking primarily at developing new vaccines or um, treatments for fungal infections. And then the other big piece that we have uh, or have been working on recently is really understanding the scope of fungal infections, which includes the number, it includes the impact, what patients are being impacted, because that data, unfortunately, is really lacking in the field right now. And so we've been working a lot on that. So I read the piece that mentioned you and quoted you about the research that you're doing, that fungal infections cost the United States $6.7 billion in a year. So how did you come essentially to this conclusion while you're researching it? And why does it matter, especially to those who haven't been affected by fungal infections yet? So we looked at this data set called the Healthcare Cost and Utilization Project, and it's a national sample of all patients that have been hospitalized. And it will include things like what they were diagnosed with, how long they stayed there, the cost of their stay, and so within this data set, we wanted to look at these patients that had been hospitalized. We found that uh, when they were hospitalized and also diagnosed with a fungal infection, being diagnosed with that fungal infection doubled the cost of their stay. It doubled the length of their stay and it doubled their risk of death, which is really, really huge um, and a, a very scary finding, I think. And from there, and, and the big takeaway from this, and I want to preface all of this by it's a scary finding, but it, it does not 
it's not a cause for panic. It, you know, nothing has changed between yesterday and today. We just have a better understanding about the way that our world is working. And it helps to inform research decisions we make going forward. It helps us to inform what our priorities should be in the healthcare setting. And so the, the takeaway for this for the general public is, is it's not a reason to panic, but it is a reason to care. And fungal infections extend beyond things we really associate them with, like yeast infections, thrush, athlete's foot. They, they can be serious and costly infections as well. 100%. Now, when you talk about takeaways, uh, especially from your research, of course, there's no reason to panic. But something that I found interesting was that fungi are growing resistant to antifungal medications, you know, azoles and all that. Can you explain a little bit about how that essentially ends up happening? And now, you know, when you're looking towards a vaccine, why is it a specific thing? Why is it a vaccine that you are looking towards? Yeah, so as you were as you were saying, an emerging topic has really been antifungal resistance and concerns about antifungal resistance. And for different fungal pathogens, this can arise in different ways. And so for aspergillus, which is a mold, it causes a lot of pulmonary disease. That is also a, a pathogen we see in, in that we treat with azoles, as you were saying. And azoles are also something that we use to help keep fungal disease off our crops. And so we're actually seeing some selection pressure from agricultural fields, where as we continue to use azoles pretty successfully in agriculture, that is increasing our selection pressure. And we're seeing more, especially in aspergillus, uh, azole-resistant uh, infections, which is a cause for concern. But additionally, it really also comes down to, we have three major classes of antifungals. Some fungal infections are susceptible to all of them. Some are only susceptible to one. And so when we're relying on three classes of drugs, it really limits our options when we start to see resistance. And so for that reason, there is, you know, everybody's approaching it a little bit differently, but there's pressure to also increase, increase the number of options we have, but also to look at alternative approaches. And so that is what we're focusing on because part of it is, I mean, as we were saying that these infections are very costly, they're very deadly, but it takes us a long time to diagnose. People are susceptible to a lot of these infections if they're susceptible to any. And so having a vaccine that could hopefully help avoid the situation entirely would be a huge benefit to the field and a huge benefit to the clinical population as well. And, um, you know, I hope that we can roll out this vaccine. I hope that more research can also come out in terms of access to the vaccine. That's something we've been hearing about a lot during this pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic that, you know, um, it has been going on. Of course, fungal infections, of course, they exist in the U.S. and we spend a lot of money on them, but they also exist in third world countries where this research isn't particularly available to do or to even have. So have you been thinking about this in your labs and how you want to roll that out as well or get your research at least to these you know, healthcare institutions that are less funded in these countries? That's a fantastic point. And having, you know, equal access, equitable access to healthcare, especially when we come across vaccines, is an important topic. I think what we are struggling with right now is, and, and part of the reason that we have been focusing some of our efforts on this data analysis and, and really probing the scope of disease is trying to get a good foothold here first, trying to make sure that this potentially is something that would get funded here first and be available. Beyond the U.S., it would, you know, one of the things that we are looking at 
even here is having something that is low cost, something that is shelf stable. So it would be easy to ship and hopefully going from there, it, it would be available beyond uh, U.S. borders as well. But no, that is an excellent point. How far have you gotten up in your research for this vaccine? Because ever since I read this piece, that's what's, I, what I've been wondering about is, okay, so when can I Where get- are we now? Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> we are, well, just a little bit of background. We've been in working on a fungal vaccine, uh, or our lab has been for about 20 years now. And one of the big achievements that we've had in the past couple of years, which was part of my uh, dissertation work, is that we've actually been able to develop a single vaccine candidate that provides protection for multiple fungal pathogens, including Aspergillus, Pneumocystis, and Candida, which account for like 80 to 85% of all fatal fungal infections. And so that is new. We are about to publish that data showing that it's protective. And from there, we're hoping you know, within the next five years or so, we'll see a phase one clinical trial, um, hopefully to demonstrate safety and efficacy. That's very impressive. And for our listeners, do you mind breaking down those three different fungal infections that are the most common? Um, Exactly what do they affect? What may be, which one may be more, you know, transmissible, things like that? Of course. So Aspergillus, Pneumocystis, and Candida, like I said, they, they account for the majority of fungal infections we see diagnosed. They are also, they affect similar populations. And so for fungal infections, the one disclaimer we have is a lot of people and a lot of people listening to this are not going to be susceptible. When we talk about who gets fungal infections, it is going to be people that are considered high risk and have some default, some issue with their immune system that makes them susceptible. And so this would include really historically, we have seen this with people that are HIV positive and have uncontrolled HIV into AIDS. We see this with patients with cancer that are being treated uh, on chemotherapy or radiation. We see this patients that have received transplants that are on their um, anti-rejection medications. And so these are people that we know that they have some compromised immune function and they're at risk. But within that, all of these pathogens can potentially affect these patient populations. And so for Aspergillus, this is a mold. It causes, it has a lot of presentations, but it causes a respiratory infection. Um, It can look a lot like other respiratory infections, including cold, flu. It's in that family. Pneumocystis is similar. Pneumocystis, we specifically have really see that in association with HIV. It is far less common outside of in in HIV negative populations. And then candida, uh, we see a lot of presentations with candida. Candida is one of the causative agents of um, yeast infections, but we also see it cause um, candidemia, which can cause sepsis. And so it's a very severe bloodstream infection. And so all three of these um, slightly different presentations, but they can end up affecting those same patients. I am glad that you brought up patient populations when you broke this down for other, you know, health issues such as obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and especially COVID. We talk about health disparities, populations that have been affected by these issues a lot more in comparison to most likely white counterparts. Are there any health disparities that exist with fungal infections? And if yes, then which populations have been affected, you know, more in terms of disparity or even in terms of access to the treatment if they have been diagnosed? No, that's that's absolutely a fantastic point. That is a paper that we currently have going out right now. And that was something we really are concerned about as well, because so many of these fungal infections are uh, highlight existing health disparities that we see HIV is a well-known health disparity, tuberculosis, I mean, access to healthcare. And so that actually is an analysis we did. And we found that 
I mean, I don't think it would be a surprise, but specifically non-white patients are diagnosed far more frequently, especially in association with HIV. We found that low-income patients are far more likely to be diagnosed with fungal infections. The one exception we found to these is that aspergillus, specifically less invasive presentations that present more like asthma. We see those associated with cystic fibrosis, with asthma. Those were the only infections that were found more frequently in white patients and in higher income patients. And we believe that that has more to do with access to treatment. And those are being diagnosed more frequently by kids and adults that are having greater access to healthcare. So no, I I truly believe that fungal infections highlight existing health disparities that we are already seeing with these underlying conditions with being able to access and treat these conditions in a controlled way. And um, in that article that I was reading, the head, you know, was literally that the total cost of all fungi related hospital stays tops $37 billion. Mm -hmm. So for those who can't uh, afford healthcare or have insurance or anything like that, how do they go about seeking help? Would you think? I I mean, I think it depends on the type of infection they have. A lot of non-invasive fungal infections that we talk about, they can be treated over the counter. You can can get antifungals. I mean, worst case from urgent care, but you can also get them a lot of times from your grocery store pharmacy. Um, And so a lot of those can be treated at home. When it comes to invasive fungal presentations, it is likely that you're going to feel pretty sick, but you probably also have another condition that you know, you know, would put you at risk. You know that you are otherwise have some condition that you would seek help for. And so when that happens, I mean, we do see a lot of ER visits that are associated with that in which patients are hospitalized for their known condition, and then a day or so later get diagnosed with a fungal infection. Unfortunately, there's not a broad piece of advice, a broad, you know, help in terms of financial support, clinical support that we have right now. It's really just trying to can we get these infections diagnosed sooner so we can get patients treated and lower cost of care and get them sent home sooner? And for those of us who aren't involved in this research, how can we help out your research so, you know, we can all be a part of this since it affects us all or could affect us all? I think one of the most helpful things and one of the things we've really seen a big change in in the past five to 10 years is just knowing that these are important, that these do, as you were saying, they do have a huge financial cost and they do really affect these patient populations. And so for the general public, just knowing that these are out there caring about when you see news about them and then for you know our clinical and pharmaceutical communities looking for these in the clinic, prioritizing these as areas uh, where interventions and treatments are really going to be crucial next steps for the field. Well, Emily, thank you so much for taking out the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And hopefully when those vaccines come out, I'll hear your name again. (laughs) Right. Any day now, but thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Athens Frontline podcast presented by the Red and Black. I'm your host, Simran Kaur Malhotra. Make sure you tune back in next week for our next episode. Until then, check us out on social media at Red and Black. Have a healthy and safe rest of your week.